and rather broad topic this morning, but let me just <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to just read one verse, verse 18. Let me back up and we'll just get into the context of this, but the verse I'd like us to hear here this morning is verse 18. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, welcome to 2014. I was thinking this week, I wonder what it will be like a year from today, sitting here, 2015, looking back, and I was just, I know you, you probably shouldn't do this, but I'm just thinking, I wonder what will have happened over this next year. In the world at large, uh, in America, in Wisconsin, in Wausau, in, in Bethany, in, in your own family, in your own life, what things will transpire over this coming year? You know, as, as we look back and we look at what has transpired over this past year, uh, some of the things that we see are often disturbing. We watch the continuing rise of secularism, and we experience the spirit of the Antichrist in our midst. And by the way, I don't know if you notice, but there, there always seems to be there seems to be something unique about the antagonism towards Christ. You know, there's this there's this effort to get Christ out of everything public. And you might think that that's just political, but it's not. The Bible makes it very clear that there is a demonic spirit of the Antichrist. John says the spirit of the Antichrist is working amongst us now. And so there is a very powerful demonic spirit at work seeking to eliminate and to suppress the name of Jesus Christ. Satan is not interested in undermining Muhammad. He is, nor any of the other non-Christ-centered religions. He is focused on Christ, and, and we will see that spirit continue in our, in our world. And so it's, it's easy to get pessimistic as, as you look and you think about the future. It, it's sometimes, you sometimes begin to think that we're losing the battle. But I want to remind us that the battle has already been won. The battle was won on the cross through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we need to remember that God's drama is being played out and it is going to be played out as he has determined it to be played out. 
and it is designed by God. And so we have every reason to be optimistic. We have every reason to be uh, joyful and hopeful, even in the midst as we see God's wrath being poured out against all the godlessness of men. The good news is that we can be the church and we can make a difference. In fact, the darker it gets, the greater the opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ. Many will reject it, but you know what? We will continue to see stars go up on the wall and we will continue to see lives transform. And, and that is the great hope of the church and that is the difference the church can make. It is our time to be the church. I'd like to just show you a little clip. I, I came across this this week and it's entitled, It's Our Time. I'd like to just kind of challenge us as we begin this new year and uh, turn your eyes to the wall. <clears throat> It's our time. We must rise up and no longer disparage. It's our time, church, to honor our heritage. We have a savior. He gave it all on the cross. We stand beside martyrs who counted nothing as lost. They took God's mysteries, opened them up for us. Stephen, John the Baptist, Bonhoeffer, Jan Hus. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses above, it's now our turn to model his unending love. Our mission is one we cannot confuse, nor muddy up with some trite excuse. You say you're not well-versed, ready, or able. I think Moses even tried to use that fable. The time we have, it's now more urgent. If we should hear, well done, faithful servant. Yeah, church, it's our time. It's our time to confess the ways we're mangled, the sins and selfishness that have us entangled. Lust, greed, and pride, their path leads to the grave. Yet we return to our sins as if we're a slave. Can we survive in this putrid dead sea? I quote Paul, may it never be. So let's cast aside our individual leprosy and begin to leave a biblical legacy. There's a glorious prize awaiting to be won, and the way to win is to start to run. Let's lace them up and fight the good fight, become to the world both salt and light. Our life on earth is merely a vapor. Our chapter must move from pen to paper. So church, let's get to writing because it's our time. It's our time, church. We have what it takes to help the world from its slumber awake. To Jesus, we are his beautiful bride. Whom shall we fear with him on our side? We have each other, we are not alone. It's iron to iron in the combat zone. There's a promise of life full of adventure. As long as we give both talents and treasure, the workers are few, the harvest is plenty, with so many lives running on empty. Scores of people trying to cope. They've come to the end of their proverbial rope. Young eyes are wandering, looking for direction. Make sure we point them to his resurrection. The clock's ticking. We're on our dime. Hey, church, rise up. It's our time. It's our time. So what does that look like? How do we live that out? What, what's the game plan where we're in the locker room? What, what does it look like out on the field? How do we be the church? In 1998, I was building a house, a log house, and I was 
building it on a, going to build it on a slab. It's a little cheaper to build it on a slab than to uh, to do a, go down and dig a, you know, put in a five-foot wall and footings and so forth. And I went to my contractor and he said, well, I'll, I'll draw this house out for you, but he said, I won't draw it for you unless you will put it on a foundation with five-foot walls and not even 18-inch footings, but 24-inch footings. He said, the payload on your house is about, of those logs is about 80,000 pounds or 40 tons. And he said, you need a foundation that can support it. And so, as a church, you know, what do you build the church on? What is, what is the foundation? Because that's where you start. That's what's critical. Foundation is so very, very important. If the church is going to withstand the onslaught of secularism, everything that is coming at the church, it has to be built on a solid foundation. So this morning, I'd like to kind of pull back the dirt and I'd like to walk through with you the foundation upon which we seek to build this church, the Church of Jesus Christ. This really was something that was delineated, not that this church hasn't sought these principles earlier, but in 2005 and 2006. By the way, how many of you were not here in 2005? uh, Yeah, 2005. How many of you were not here? Okay, probably half the people here. So this is going to be a little bit new for you, and uh, this is review. For those of you who are over 60, you probably forgot what I said in 2005. So <clears throat> for most of us, this is going to be, uh, I'll keep you with me this morning. We're going to walk through this, and then we're going to do a flyover of what this foundation looks like. And this is how I think about it as a pastor. One day, I'm going to stand before God, and here's what I want to hear. I want him to look at me and said, you know what? The church that you led was doing what I wanted the church to do. Now, that's what I want to hear. I don't want the Lord to say, what were you thinking? You know what? You wasted all that time and all that energy. You missed the point. So I don't want to miss the point. I want to, I want to be involved with a group of people doing what Jesus wants us to do. So I'm going to tell you what I believe that is. This morning, and uh, how can we be the church? Here they are. There's four of them in your bulletin. I encourage you; it'll help you kind of flow with me because you'll it'll uh, help you keep you with me. But there's a a little insert in there in your bulletin, and uh, I'd encourage you to walk through that and just jot these things down. Here it is. It's the gold standard. We want to live our lives as a church by the gold standard. And, you know, they talk today about the gold standard. And if the paper dollar fails, they talk about the importance of gold because gold has intrinsic value. And so these are things that are lasting values. If we build our lives on this, it will stand the test of time. Number one. Oh, and before I do this, I have to tell you where this came from. Back in 2005, I, the church graciously uh, allowed me to go on a sabbatical. And what I did was I sat down with Paul's letters and I went through every one of them. And every time he said something, an admonishment, something we should do, something we should think about, I wrote it down. Everything, the whole New Testament, I went through. And when I got done, I discovered that everything that we were admonished to do was, would really fall into four categories. Four values, four priorities, 
Four things that the Bible kept talking about over and over and over again. And so what I'm going to share with you is those four categories of what the Bible talks about over and over again. Here's number one. The Bible keeps talking about the gospel. The Bible keeps talking about the gospel. To experience the grace of the gospel and to share it with the lost. To experience the gospel and to share it. Experience it and share it. Experience the good news. What is that? The good news is that we can quit trying to measure up. The good news is that we can quit trying to be good enough for God. Uh, The good news of the gospel is that we can quit wondering whether we've done enough. Because the answer is very simple. No, you have not done enough. You will never do enough. I will never do enough. We will never measure up. We can quit. The good news is you can quit asking that question. The good news is when people come to you and say, so one day when you die, will you go to heaven? The good news is you can put aside the answer that says, well, I hope so. You don't have to hope so. You can know so. If it's up to you, the answer is very simple. You will not go to heaven. If it's up to God... If, it's up, if you're depending on the work of God, which is the good news, and now you no longer have to depend on your work, but you can depend on what God did through Christ, the answer is absolutely yes. Unless you're saying what Jesus did was not sufficient. And so that is the good news that now we can live our lives by grace, through faith, not by works. That is the amazing, wonderful news of the gospel. That Christ came into the world, lived a sinless life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and rose again, conquering death. Here's the verse that goes with that. You'll see it in the wall. Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Okay? That's it. To experience that. The Bible talks over and over and over again about experiencing that. And then once we have experienced it, to share that. You read, I read through the life of Paul. Everything he did, everything that happened in his life, there was one question he asked. How will this help me share the gospel? And so when he was sick, he said, will this some way make my ability to share the gospel more effective? When he was in prison, he's going, oh, great, now I have an opportunity to to preach to people inside the prison. When he was beaten and tortured, everything that happened in his life, if it was for the sake of the gospel, it was always about the sake of the gospel. You know, one day, I think we'll look back. We'll be in eternity one day, and we'll look back on our lives. Just think about that. Think about sitting around a table uh, and looking back at your life on earth. And you know what? You know what will be the, the key thing you'll, you'll think about? It won't be the football championship you won. It won't be the company you started. It, it won't be the difficulties and the hardships and the failures of your life. It won't be that. What you'll be thinking about is you'll be thinking about the details of life that led you to that place of coming to know Christ. That'll be the key component of your life. That will be what's really important in life is what led you to Christ? 
We need, as a church, to be a part of that moment for people. That we would be a part of, of that story, of that moment in time when, when they came to Christ. That is what will matter. matter. And, and that is our mission as a church. We can never lose that passion. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Here's the verse. It says, You are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal... Listen to this. Through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is making his appeal to people through us. We are ambassadors of that. So what does this look like? It means that we receive this gospel. We live in it every day. You wake up every morning. The first thought in your mind when you open your eyes every morning should be, wow, I get to live in the grace of God today. You you don't just say that about your salvation. You say that every day. God, I get to live in your grace today. I don't have to depend on me today. I can just live in, in your grace today. That's what that means, to, to experience the gospel. And then to say, Lord, just help me be ready, help me be aware of anybody today that, that I might be able to share this good news with. As a church, it means we go out. We don't just wait for people to come. And so you're going to continue to see stars on the wall. You're going to continue to see the candle lit. You're going to continue to hear about the priority of the gospel in this church. That's number one. Here's number two. Number two is obedience. Obedience, to understand God's word and then apply it by living it out. And as I read through, I discovered was we could have put priority being the word of God, that one of the priorities of the church has to be the word of God. That's true. But it has to be obedience to the word of God. For too long, the church has talked about the word of God, but not not measured up in their obedience, living it out. And so what I discovered was is that the operative word here is obedience to the Word of God. So the first thing we have to do is understand it. First thing is to understand the Word. If we're going to live it out, we need to understand what it's saying. And so here we are. We live in this culture that has billions of dollars being invested in one of those powerful teaching components that exist today, and that is everything in the culture is teaching us. When you watch the Packer game today, every commercial, you're going to be someone seeking to teach you something. That something that you have is not enough, and they have something more that would make you happier. And so billboards, magazines, internet, you know, everything, social media, everything, all of this technology, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed at night, is being blasted and blasted and blasted. And then we have the Word of God, which is very countercultural. And you know, it used to be in the culture, there were things that, that the culture supported that would be taught in a church on Sunday morning. Now, there are still some of those things, but there are fewer and fewer and fewer things. And guess what? People out in the culture are not hearing it anymore. They're not hearing what the Word of God teaches. They're not hearing the countercultural message that the Bible gives. And so, 
It is incredibly important that the church today be grounded in the Word and be teaching the Word and be understanding the Word. It's so important in homes that parents, from, you know, when they get up and they go to bed and they rise, they, they, they connect their children with the Word of God and they teach their children how disregard for the, for the Word of God is affecting culture. Because it is. It's incredibly affecting our lives in negative ways our disregard for the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.50. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of truth. Study the Word. Get to know it. There are so many resources available today. And then secondly, not only understand it, but apply it. Live out the world. For many of us, most of us, our knowledge is way beyond our obedience. We know a lot more about what the Word says than we actually are able to live out. And so, there are so many resources to understand God's Word, but, you know, if we don't do it, what good does it do? The Word says, study to to show thyself a what? A workman. A workman is something who does something. He's saying, study so you, can, so you can follow through, so you can be a workman, so you can live it out in your life. Here's a very important verse. James 1.22 is the verse that goes along with this. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So how would you deceive yourself by just listening to the Word. Well, if you read the context, what he's saying is, we think that we're going to be blessed by God because we read or know His Word. He's saying, you're just deceiving yourself. The power is not in knowing the Word. The power and the blessing comes from doing the Word. It comes from doing the Word. In one of Mark Twain's writings, he was visiting with a man, a businessman from New York who said, you know, my goal in life is to one day go to the Middle East, go to Mount, walk up Mount Sinai, and there on top of Mount Sinai, take the Ten Commandments and, and read them out loud on top of Mount Sinai. Mark Twain's comment was, well, why don't you just stay in Manhattan and keep them? You know, that, that's, where the, that's where the power comes, is in keeping, in, in doing. And we deceive ourselves when we think we have spirituality because we know the Word or we study the Word. It's the bottom line is our obedience to the Word. And so, what does this look like? The Bible needs to become our life manual. This, this is like the manual, you know, it's like, your, it's like your stove manual. Something goes wrong, what do you do? You pull out the manual. This is how we live our lives. When something's not going in life right, you pull out the manual. When you're anxious, what do you do? Pull out the manual. It has something to tell you about how to deal with that situation in your life. Your marriage isn't going well, pull out the manual. Whatever it is, pull out the manual. Find out what it says and then do what the manual says. I will challenge you, though, with one thing. If you decide to do that, one of the things you'll be taking on is your own flesh because our flesh is contrary to the Spirit and to the Word of God. And so you will be in a battle. Trust me. You will be in a battle with... This is how Paul described it. 
Paul says, I beat and buffet my body and make it my slave. Paul says, you know what? In, in my being obedient to the word of God, I've got to beat my body and buffet it and make it my slave because it is self-centered and selfish and a lot of things that are contrary to the word of God. As a church, this, this book and applying it has got, to be, has got to be a top priority because the world's not hearing it anywhere else. It's not coming anywhere else. And so if we fail as a church to hold up the word of God for people, then we have failed to care about our world. That leads us to number three. We could obviously spend a long time on this one. This is love. <clears throat> the gospel, obedience to the word, the third category I found, so many verses in the Bible, is love. Like the scripture says, the, the, you know, the goal of knowledge is love. And so, to love those inside the church and to love those outside the church. I discovered something very interesting. I thought maybe there would be, I don't know, you think there's more verses about loving outside the church or inside the church? I thought it would be outside. You know that two to one, inside. Two to one, inside the church. And I'll tell you why that is, I think. If we're not loving each other inside the church, then we are failing to demonstrate to the world the very thing that God wants the world to look at to say that Jesus is for real. If people in the church cannot live this out, if it's not working in the church, if the church isn't loving one another in a way that's countercultural, then the culture looks at the church and says, that's no different than what I see out here. This Jesus they talk about, if he's not transforming their lives, what makes me think he's going to transform my life? And so we see that loving in the body is where it starts. This is evidently very, very important to Christ. You know, the church is an organism. It's not an organization. Organizations are built around organizational forms which help people cooperate together. The church is an organism. It's very different. It has organization in it, but its head is the Holy Spirit. A, a living, personal being that makes the church very different from you know, some other organization like the Elks Club or, or any other, the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. The church is an organism. And it is brought together to love one another. This is the intent of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 is a passage here. And... Uh, this is just a very, <clears throat> this is a passage that, a book that I have really enjoyed. And listen to this. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the body grows as each one responds in love. We love those inside the church. We love those outside the church. You know, we don't have to stay here to love each other. God could take us all home today 
and we could be in heaven together. The scripture makes it very clear, 2 Peter 3.9. 3, it says, why is God waiting? Why, why isn't he returning? 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient, desiring that none should be lost, but all should come to repentance. The reason we're here today is because there are lost people in this community. And so we are here to, God is patient. God is desiring for more people, more of his creation to believe and to come to faith in Christ. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said, peace I leave with you as the Father has sent me. That's how I'm sending you. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save the lost. Why are we being sent? To seek and to save the lost. It's not real complicated. That has got to be a priority of our lives. That has got to be the priority of the church. That we learn how to love one another. That the church becomes a place that is safe. Where broken people can come. Where we can come. Where we can receive forgiveness and grace. Not condemnation. And so the third priority is that of love. So, it was the gospel, obedience to the word, love, and the fourth one. The fourth one that I came across was dependency. Relying on the Holy Spirit and living in interdependence in the body, or relying on the body. Relying on the Spirit. Jesus made it very clear. John 15, 5 is what he said. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Really? Apart from me, you can do nothing? Well, that's what Christ said. In fact, Jesus said, the only things I do is what I I hear the Father telling me to do. The only thing I say is what I hear the Father telling me to say. And so... If that was Jesus' posture in life, how much more do we need to be living our lives doing what God is calling us to do, saying what God is leading us to say? Self-sufficiency. That's what the serpent got Eve with in the garden. You can do better. You can do better if you step out from this submission to God than staying under it. That was the lie. You don't need God. You can be self-sufficient. We hear it everywhere. It has been the downfall of many great ministries of men. People take their eyes off of their dependency upon Christ. God is always putting people in situations where they're utterly dependent. I mean, just think about it. Noah, Abraham, Daniel, David and Goliath, Gideon, all these characters... Joshua, and the walls of Jericho. He's always putting us in positions where we're like, God, what am I going to do? It seems like we just need that to, to, to finally rely on him. You know, life is to get so painful before we'll just turn and rely on him. And then as soon as things start to get better, then we start taking our eyes off of Christ. It seems like the most dangerous time in our lives is when God has been making us successful. 
dependency, and then relying not only on the Holy Spirit, but relying on one another in the body of Christ. Relying on the body. You know, I was told early on in my ministry, never trust a leader who's alone. No matter how famous, no matter how good, if you find a leader who is not in relationship with other men, who's not accountable to other men, who's a loner, do not trust him. Because he has stepped out of sight, he has stepped out of the, the, uh, the norm of what God has called us to do and to be, and that is to be part of a body, interdependent, interconnected with one another. You know, the Bible says we're like a body. You know, you cut your right hand off and set it on a shelf for a few hours, it will very quickly start to rot. You sever a finger, if you can get it to the doctor, they can get it back hooked up to the rest of the body. It can heal. That's the way the church functions. You got something going on in your life, you're intended to be part of a group of people. Those people will bring, if they're a healthy church, they will bring healing to you. You separate yourself from that, and spiritually you begin to die. People would say, well, you know what? I believe in Christ, but I don't have any time for the church. You know, Christ has a head, but he also has a body. You can't say, well, I'm, co- I'm connected with the head and ignore the body. Christ has a head and his body, the church. And so in God's design, we must be connected with the head, and we must be connected with the body. Not only do we need the body, but the body needs us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 26 and 27. You'll see that. <clears throat> you know, he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part rejoices, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And that's a theme that flows throughout the scriptures. Well, let me bring this to a conclusion. <clears throat> Let me bring this to a conclusion. <clears throat> there it is, the gold standard. It's the foundation upon which Christ is building his church. This is what we use to evaluate what's going on in the church. And in the end of this month, last Sunday of January, uh, we're going to have our celebration, annual celebration Sunday. And I'm going to share with you on that Sunday where we feel as overseers in this church, God is calling us to focus in this next year. Which ones of those areas is God, do we sense God wanting us to bring into balance? Because, you know, the thing in life is we always struggle with is keeping things in balance. And so, what is it that God's calling us to? But I want to invite you this morning, I want to invite you to, uh, to kind of Maybe stick this in your Bible somewhere. And maybe this week, sit down and take it and hold this like a grid up against your life and say, God, are these the values and priorities of my life? Am I, am I committed to the gospel? Do I, do I live in that every day? Am I aware of the, need, the people there without it in my world? You know, how about my obedience? Am I taking seriously? Are there things in my life I know God's been telling me to change and I just haven't done it? Or maybe I'm just keeping really busy and not really taking time to listen to what God might be telling me to do. And, and then love, you know. Is that, is that a priority of my life? <clears throat> loving others in the body of Christ and, and loving the world around me. And finally, dependency. Do I live with this sense of dependency 
upon the Holy Spirit and upon those around me. We need to be the church. I'm going to show this last clip and then we'll pray. And uh, just a challenge for us to be the church. <laughs> 